talked the last couple of weeks about the midnight hour and how, how much that phrase is used in the Bible and how meaningful it is, the midnight hour. I want to finish this series today talking about the cry at midnight. And we're going to look at one of Jesus' most uh, mysterious, for some, difficult to uh, interpret parables. But in this parable, he's talking about the arrival of a bridegroom in the midnight hour. So let's read it together here. The parable of the ten virgins, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Jesus said at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Now the bridegroom was a long time in returning. And they all got drowsy. They fell asleep, got tired of waiting. And verse 6 says, at midnight, when? Midnight, a cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Well, then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said, uh-oh. And they said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the wise ones said, sorry, Charlie. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not what it said. No. What a no that was. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, you better go buy some of it for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Well, later, the ones who had not had the oil came back. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, here's the problem. I don't know you. Verse 13, read it with me, everybody. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Father, thank you for your word today. Speak to our hearts and all listening by radio, speak to them. I'm asking you by your spirit to reach out and grab hearts, grab minds, grab the affections of people who are far away, who have strayed, and secure and bring peace to those that are walking with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's coming back, and you can be seated. <laughs> amen. Well, in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the significance of the midnight hour. And uh, I, that phrase has just been speaking to me, just moving on me over the last few months. It's, it's such a powerful thought that there is a spiritual midnight hour. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about a chronological midnight, but a time in the timing of God when things are wrapped up, when God's Messiah returns. Midnight hour signifying a spiritual midnight, that when Jesus returns, it'll be midnight spiritually in the world. Dark, godless, difficult, trying, and so Jesus has talked uh, many times in many of his parables and many of his warnings. You read Matthew 24, Matthew 25, 
Jesus talks over and over again about His certain, undeniable, irrefutable, unstoppable return. We looked the first week at the watch at midnight. The watch at midnight had to do with our expectation of His return. How important it is for the believer to expect the return of the Lord. Then there was the knock at midnight, which was about our ministry at His return. How it's the season of opportunity, the midnight hour, make the most of every opportunity. Seize the opportunity, redeem the time, Paul said. And then finally today, the cry at midnight, which deals with our preparation at His return. So the expectation of His return, ministry at His return, and preparedness at His return, all dealt with by Jesus. In Matthew 25 alone, you'll find three parables right in a row, bing, bang, boom, all having to do with His return to the earth, the end of the world as we know it. There's the parable of the virgins that we're going to look at today followed by the parable of the ten talents, or the talents given out to the servants that we've all heard messages on, and, and that has to do with the, the trust that God has given to us as His people. And then third, the parable of the sheep and the goats. But every one of those three parables in Matthew 25, Jesus is preparing the world and His church for His return. Now I want to take the parable of the ten virgins today. It's a powerful one. And I want to lay the groundwork for this parable by giving you a little bit of cultural understanding of what a wedding was like in Jesus' day. In the days of Jesus, a Jewish marriage took place in three stages over a long period of time. It wasn't like today. You didn't elope in Jesus' day, not much. First, there was the engagement, which was usually arranged by a matchmaker, usually mom and dad or in-laws. How many of you are like your parents picking out your mate for you? Some of you would have been better off that way. <laughs> Keep looking right up at me now. My mama told me I better shop around. You remember that? So there was the engagement put together by usually people who had known both of them and chose them for one another. But then second, there was the betrothal. And the betrothal ceremony was held at the bride's house. The couple would exchange vows and the groom gave the bride presents during the betrothal. The betrothal period usually lasted a year or two. And during this time, the bride continued to live with her parents and um, that was just the way that it was. And then finally, the third stage was the marriage supper, which usually took place at night. The groom and his friends would come to the bride's house where the bride was found wearing a thick veil covering her face. A contract was signed during the marriage supper, uh, making it really official, really legal. The bride and groom would spend some time together, and uh, after which the bride would separate herself into isolation for about seven days with that veil over her face. She went into isolation, stayed to herself. So during a, a, a setting apart time, it's a picture of sanctification. And afterwards, she would remove the veil so everybody could see her face. And all that awaited now after these three stages was the actual wedding. The bridegroom would come, and the wedding would take place, and you never knew when the bridegroom was going to come. Now, in Jesus' parable of the ten virgins, ten of the bride's wedding party are found waiting for the groom to arrive. They're waiting for the wedding to start, the wedding to commence. 
It's nighttime. They've all, in the parable, brought lamps. But five of them have brought oil in their lamp, and five have not. Very significant. They wait, and they wait, and they wait, and as they wait for the bridegroom to get there, uh, they finally all go to sleep. And as they're drowsing, as they're sleeping, suddenly there is a cry. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Well, they all wake up with a start. They jump up and they begin trimming their lamps. Now, what does this mean? Well, I want to show you. I'm going to ask Jade. I brought a couple of lamps with me, and I want to show you this parable and what it means. So if you'll just bring them down here, Jade. Let me show these folks. And here's a couple of lamps. And I want you to notice, and I hope everybody can see, this one has oil. This one has none. Now, five of the virgins had oil, five had none. Now, when you trimmed a lamp, you can't see this wick way back there in the back, but at the top of it, it's black. It has burned. And if I'm going to trim the lamp, I cut that black part off so that the wick can burn as brightly as it possibly can. So when it says they all jumped up, they all grabbed the lamps, and they all began to trim them, the idea is they were cutting off trimming from the wick what was unnecessary, what was hindering the flow of the oil, and what would help them to, to shine and burn as brightly as they could. Now let me help you to understand this parable. In the parable, the lamp represents your body. The Bible says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That is, God has poured His Spirit into jars of clay. God has poured His Spirit into our body. What did the Bible say? What did Paul say in Romans? He said, The love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given unto us. So the body is the vessel or the lamp. In Jesus' parable, the oil that five of them had and five of them did not have was a picture of the Holy Spirit who all the time in the Bible is likened unto oil, fire and water. The living waters is talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God fell on them on the day of Pentecost in the form of fire. But David said in the Psalms, He anoints me with fresh oil. Talking about the Holy Spirit. A little while ago, we prayed for people, anointing them with olive oil, which is a picture of a sick body being touched by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is likened to fire, likened to water, and likened to oil. And these five virgins had oil, and the other five had none. Behold, the bridegroom comes. They all jumped up. They began to trim the wicks. And then, here's what happened. The five who had oil, their lamps were burning. This is the way you want to meet Jesus. This little light of mine. This is the way you want to meet Jesus. I hope this doesn't set the fire alarm. If it does... But this is the way. Why is this able to burn? Because within it is the Holy Spirit. The wick represents the spirit of man. The Bible says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. So when the Holy Spirit is poured into your soul, what does it do? It lights your spirit on fire. It gives life to your spirit, hope to your spirit, zeal to your spirit, purpose. It lights your spirit on fire with the life of God. Are you with me? What you don't want to do before Jesus comes is mess around, 
Don't let Satan blow it out. Now, here was the other five. Uh-oh, 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 he's here. But why won't it light? I can't get it to light. Why? Because there was no oil. They tried and they said, uh-oh, uh-oh, our lamp is going out. This is the way you don't want to meet Jesus. Right here. So you have the five that had oil, the five that did not, five had the Holy Spirit, five did not, five were genuinely ready, five were not. Thank you, Jade. You may want to take them out that way and put a little fi uh, water on those things. <laughs> now watch this. They all wanted to shine brightly when the bridegroom came, but only five had the fuel, the oil, within. What a picture Jesus is giving us of five that were ready and five that were not. Now as the story continues, while they're trimming their lamps, they notice their lamps are going out, and they said to the ones who had the oil, can we have some of your oil? Can you give us some of your oil? In the midnight hour when it was time and the bridegroom had arrived, suddenly they panicked and realized they did not have what they needed to meet him. They did not have what they needed to shine. So they said to the ones that had it, can we have some of your oil? Give us some of your oil. Please help us. But they said, we can't give you the oil. Go get your own. And while they were gone, the door was shut. And I think that those three words, the door was shut like it was shut in Noah's day when the last animal walked in and Noah's last family member walked in it says God shut the door and here we have in this parable of the ten virgins there is a time when God shuts the door that is saying that there is going to be a time when the age of grace is up the ability the opportunity to come to God is going to be over and there is going to be a door that is shut when the door is shut no man opens it. It says of Jesus, I am he that opens and no man shuts, and I shut and no man can open what I shut. Now a lot of interpretations have been offered about what this parable means, but there's one thing for sure. We don't have to wonder about it meaning, and that is this parable has to do with being prepared for the Lord's return. And it's about five who thought they were ready and they were not. Now I want to pull three major points out of this parable and just sort of clarify it for us. And my prayer is that this really has an impact on all of you who know people that don't know Jesus. And that's everybody. And listening by radio that people will come to Christ over this. Because this is a very penetrating, very probing, very searching parable. First thing I want to pull out of this is the bridegroom delayed his coming and was gone a long time. The parable says the bridegroom was a long time in coming. He waited longer than anybody thought he was going to. He was gone a long time. And because he was gone a long time, people began to fall asleep. And when you see these virgins asleep in this parable, it is talking about spiritual sleep. They began to go to sleep. They began to, to, to lose their alertness in their preparation for the coming of the Lord. Jesus tarried long 
And he has tarried long. Hasn't the parable turned out to be true? He has tarried long. The church has waited centuries, 21 centuries now, for the return of the Lord. He tarried. He has tarried. The bridegroom has tarried for 300 years of fierce persecution by the Caesars of Rome who persecuted and martyred and attacked and and sought to destroy the church. He tarried through all of that. He tarried through the thousand-year-long dark ages of history. He tarried. He tarried through the Italian Renaissance as Leonardo da Vinci sat there painting that incredible Last Supper of Christ. The Lord yet tarried. He tarried through the mighty Protestant Reformation as Luther lifted up his voice and said, The just shall live by faith. The Lord Jesus saw that great move of God in Europe and that shaking of the Catholic Church, and yet the Lord still tarried. He tarried through the bloody French Revolution that shook France. He tarried through the Age of Enlightenment as man's thought he could discover God through reason followed by the explosion of the Industrial Revolution where we went from working on the farms to working on the factory. And through all of that, the Lord has tarried. He has tarried while nations have gone against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms and terrible bloodshed in war after war has taken place. He has watched from heaven and yet still He has tarried. He tarried through the bloodiest century in the history of mankind, the 20th century, two world wars. He tarried while men wrapped themselves in sheets and stood on mountaintops, fully convinced that on a certain day Jesus was going to return. Yet he tarried, and he tarries still. And let me tell you what's beginning to happen. People are starting to fall asleep, and they're going, is he ever really going to come? How many times has Newsweek come out during Easter? with a front cover going, is Jesus ever really going to return? And what shocked me is last Easter, some conservative magazines had that on their cover. Is Christ going to return? Is Jesus really going to come back? Remember the parable of Jesus. While the bridegroom tarried, men slept. While the bridegroom tarried, men went to sleep. They began to cease waiting. Yet I'm telling you, the Bible says, the parable says, and Jesus told us over and over again, even though 21 centuries have now passed since he was here, one day there is going to be a cry at midnight, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Peter warned about our day. He said, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, the days before, just prior to the return of Christ, Men are going to rise up mockers and scoffers, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They're going to say this. What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, way back, my granddaddy, great-granddaddy, great-great-great-granddaddy, they were all saying he's coming back. Everything has remained just the same, though. Life's going on as usual. He's not really coming back, is he? But then Peter says this. You must not forget this one thing. Dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is just like one day. That means he's been gone a little over 2,000 years. As far as God's concerned, Jesus has been gone two days. 2,000 years, two days, he's been gone. Why is that? Because with God, God isn't in time and space, God inhabits eternity. It says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 
He's all the way back there and He's all the way out there. When you arrive at your next arrival, He's already there waiting. God inhabits eternity, but we're stuck in time and space and finiteness. We cannot imagine. We can't imagine something that goes on forever and forever and forever. But with God, He blinks twice and 2,000 years have gone by. But then Peter says, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anybody to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord is going to come as unexpectedly as a thief in the night. The heavens are going to pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves are going to disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it is going to be burned up with a fervent heat. He's not going to destroy His world, but He's going to renovate this world by melting and burning everything in it, everything tainted by sin, stained by iniquity, ruined by the fall. It's all going to burn up, and He's going to bring down from heaven a new heaven, and a new earth, a new Jerusalem is going to come down from heaven on a renovated earth. The groom is coming. The groom is coming. Don't go to sleep. I'm telling you, the groom is coming. Now, I, I want to get into one of the tougher parts of this parable, but I've got to say it because it's in the parable. And here it is. The second point in this parable is the five foolish virgins had clearly never been saved. Now watch this. We saw that one had oil and one didn't. And what is the oil? It's the Holy Spirit. And one didn't. That is, one did not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. There was one lamp empty and one lamp full. Five empty, five full. What gets me is they all looked good. They all looked right. They all looked fine, all ten of them, until the bridegroom came. They were friends with the five wise virgins. And they got up and began to trim their lamps, but there was no oil within them. So that tells me they were way more concerned with outer exterior appearances than they were with inward reality and truth. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. They looked saved. They sounded saved. They looked religious. They were very religious, very what we would call good girls, but they were not saved. Listen, they were in the house of God but they didn't know the God of the house. They were in it, but not of it. They were around it, but not a part of it. They were on the peripheral looking in. They did not have the divine reality of having been born again. They had no oil. Jesus talked in another place about the wheat and the tares. The tares growing up right next to the wheat. And when tares are growing up right next to wheat, they look exactly like wheat. You can't tell a tear from wheat until they're full grown. These five girls that had no oil were close but not in. They knew about the bridegroom, but they didn't know the bridegroom. Paul talked about the form of godliness and outer appearance, but denying and rejecting the power thereof. They might have taught Sunday school. They knew the Bible stories. They were close enough to know a lot of things about church. Can I say something real boldly today? And I want to quote Billy Graham said, the greatest harvest field in the world is the church. 
The church is full of people who are in church and think because they're in church or a member of a church that they know the bridegroom, that they are saved, when in fact they are not. Say, well, how do you know, Pastor Jeff, that they weren't saved? That's a pretty strong thing to say. Well, Jesus told us they weren't saved. Because later the five foolish virgins returned to the door that was now shut. And they began knocking, Lord, 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 open the door for us. But he replied, telling words. Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. There's even going to be people when the bridegroom returns who are going to say to him, according to Jesus Christ in Matthew, who are going to say, didn't we cast out devils in your name, heal the sick in your name, do many wonderful things in your name? And what does he say to them? Depart from me. I never knew you. See, why this parable matters is because it makes us search our heart. The Bible says examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. What it tells us is you can be close. You can be in a church. You can be in a garage. That doesn't make you a car. Jesus is not going to come and say, Did you ever get a ticket? Did you ever, did you, you know, did you ever get in trouble with the law? Did you ever this, that, or the other? He doesn't say, listen, one thing is going to matter is oil in the lamp. And how does oil get in the lamp? Let me read to you what the Bible says. Here's how oil gets in the lamp. The Bible says in Romans 8 verse 9, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Now, you know I hate political correctness. I hate it. Because it makes us lie about things. So let me be politically incorrect and tell you the truth. We're not all God's children. Well, Pastor Jeff, that doesn't sound very loving. Oh, it's completely loving. See, if you got cancer and I tell you you don't, I hate you. Y'all are quiet today. You know, if you're really sick, if something's really wrong, if you're about to, to come to a really bad end and I don't tell you about it, do I love you? No. Here's what the Bible says, and this is what we've got to get back to. If any man doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. How do you get the Spirit of Christ? By turning to Christ, asking Him to forgive you of your sins. There is no answer for your sin issue apart from the blood. There's only one solution that takes your sin away, and it's the blood. God didn't give you five options. He gave one solution to keep it simple. When I say, Lord, forgive me for my sin and come into my heart, then by that act of faith, I turn to Him, I repent, I lay my sin down, I ask Him to wash me and cleanse me. He comes into my heart, and when He does, He pours oil into the lamp. The, and that is the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Five of the virgins had oil, five did not. And that's all that mattered when Jesus, when the bridegroom came. He didn't say, let me see how you're dressed. He didn't say, let me tell me about your past. He said, five have oil, five don't. The five with oil get in. The five that don't have it, don't. Because the oil means that you have been forgiven and the Spirit of God has been poured into your heart. You know, when I was a 16-year-old, I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't raised in any church. I never heard the gospel until I was 16 years old. So I ended up in drugs. I was looking for a transcendent experience. I'm convinced that when you're lost, you know something's wrong. 
There's something that tells you there's got to be more to life than this. So you look for things that are going to give you a transcendent experience. That is something beyond the reality you're knowing. You want something to take you deeper and higher. You're looking for a spiritual experience. And drugs is one of Satan's counterfeits. So I was looking for that transcendent experience, and I got into drugs. And then I got busted, and I got put in jail. In jail, I heard the gospel. They came knocking on my door one night when I was sitting in there, lost, tragically lost, and said, you want to come hear some people talk to you about Christianity? And I said, what? Christy, what? The only thing I knew about Jesus was that song, Jesus Christ Superstar. Are you really who they say you are? That's the first time I ever thought about Jesus. No one ever even told me the name or spoke the name in my presence. But I heard that song, and it got me to thinking, Jesus Christ Superstar, are you really? Who was Jesus Christ? So I went to the meeting, about 50 of us guys sitting there. I'll never forget it. Green pullover shirt, T-shirt. Blue jean, bell-bottom blue jeans. Long hair, scared to death. I'd already been told, you may go to prison. I had not gotten past the ninth grade. And you say, well, you mean I got a stupid pastor? No. Because <laughs> I, I got a GED and went on bachelor's, master's, doctorate. I've been the route through school. But as a kid, I was searching. And nothing was making sense to me. I wanted some answers. Well, this guy looked like Clark Kent stood up. Black frame glasses, hair slicked. I thought, oh, no, this is going to be worse than the cell. And he quoted John 3.16, God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And it was just like that thing was red hot. It just got me right between the eyes, began to grab hold of my heart. And I said, what? What? I'd never heard God talked about, never heard Jesus talked about. But he said, now, if any of you want to receive Christ in your heart, I'm asking you, stand up and come down. Nobody got up. Nobody was going to. Who's going to get up in front of all these guys where you know they're going to mock you, ridicule you, maybe beat up on you a little bit because you got up and went down and got religion? But something said to me, he's told you the truth. And if you will do what he has said, I'm going to change your life. And so I did. I got up. And next thing I knew, I'm behind this guy. And I said, sir, I would like to, and I started to weep. Hadn't cried in years. God knows that's true. Hard-hearted, terrible, broke my parents' heart. He whisked me into another room, sat me down, and said, Jeff, what's happening to you is, is God is touching you. And he wants to come into your heart. I knew nothing of this. I just said, well, whatever, whatever. I, I, want, I want it. And he said, let's pray. I'd never prayed in my life. Not, not two words of prayer had I ever uttered in my life. But I said, Jesus, I don't even know who you are. But come into my heart. Now, here's what happened. Jeff Wickwire, who had been in so much trouble and was so troubled, and was seeking so hard for that transcendent experience, something deeper, more profound than this boring reality around me, the Lord poured the oil in. And right then and there, when I opened my eyes, this dingy green room in a, in a jail looked glittery, glistening, happy. I looked at this guy and said, wow, I feel light as a feather. He said, you just got saved. 
And listen, that's the way that it happened. Now, it was not rehabilitation because it wasn't up to me. It was not a New Year's resolution because that's still up to me. It was spiritual transformation, which is not up to me. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, everything is become new. I share that story with you to tell you, you must be born again. And when you get born again, when you get born again, the oil is poured into your heart. And now you're a lamp with oil. And you may not be a pretty lamp, but you got oil. You may not have a great past, but you got oil. You may not look real promising, but you've got oil in your lamp. The five foolish virgins realized that they were not in the good stead they thought they were in. The truth was they did not have a personal encounter with God. And because of that, they had all the appearances of looking right, but they weren't. And they were with the five wise. They were among the five wise. They were waiting for the bridegroom with the five wise. They would have admitted to you, I know he's coming. But they needed their own experience with him. That's what they had to go by. And that brings me to the final point. I want to close with this. This parable lets us know there is no such thing as coattail salvation. You can't ride somebody else's coattails and get in. They said to their five friends, we want what you've got. Hurry, quick, the bridegroom is coming. But they said, we can't give you this oil because only one person can give you this oil. It's not ours to give. You can't get the oil of the Holy Spirit. You can't get the salvation that is in Jesus Christ from any other source. You've got to go straight to Him. And you have got to have your own experience with God. If you don't, you have no oil. You have not been born again. You're not a child of God. You're created by God, but you're not a child of God. Born once, you're born in the flesh. Born twice, you're born in the Spirit. Born once, you're dead. Born twice, you're alive. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you're blind. Born twice, you see. When they realized they lacked their salvation, they said, Come on, buddy, hand me what you've got. Hurry, quick, give me some of your oil. And they said, We can't do it. It's too late. You are among us. How did you not know that you needed to get it yourself? People in churches all over the world who think they've got the oil, who have never come to the Lord themselves, they live double lives. They live lives, they look one way, but, but in, in the, the hidden part of their life, they're not walking with the Lord. They don't have the oil. They're empty lamps. When they try to trim the wicks and the lamps shine, when he comes, there's going to be nothing there. No, we can't give it to you lest there not be enough for us and you. You go to those who sell and buy for yourself. In other words, you've got to have your own personal experience with God. Buy for yourselves. Go get it yourself. Go repent yourself. Go to God yourself. Go to the Lord between you and Him. You're not going to get into heaven holding on to mama's coattails. Well, my mama walked with God, Jesus. She prayed for me. She taught me the Bible. I lived in a godly house. I see no oil in your lamp. Your mama's getting in. She had an experience with me. There was oil, but you don't. Oh, I was in a great church, had a great preacher, had a great pastor, had a great congregation. 
but I don't see any oil in your lamp. Not going to get there on a friend's coattails. We see that. The five foolish couldn't get anything from the five wise. They're buddies. So this parable is Jesus saying, one, certainly, for certain, I'm coming back. And when I do, that's when the truth is going to be told. Who knew me? Who didn't? Who had the oil? Who didn't? Who was playing church? Who wasn't? And there will come a time when the door shuts. Pastor Jeff, you're scaring me good. I don't mean to scare anybody. As a matter of fact, if you know the Lord, you know you know the Lord. I mean, you know you do. If you do, then this is encouraging because we know the bridegroom is at the door. But if you've never really settled the issue, it ought to trouble you. And what a great opportunity to say, you know, Lord, I'm coming to you for the oil. I need it. Because when you come, I'm going to light. I, I want my lantern shining. I don't want to realize at the worst possible moment, I don't have any oil. So can we stand together? I tell you, I'm so thankful for the grace of God. I didn't achieve anything, and neither did those of you that know the Lord achieve anything. By grace, He touched us. And aren't you glad for that precious Holy Spirit, that oil that keeps the wick burning? Aren't you thankful for that? But I want us to bow for a moment of prayer. If you can say, listen carefully, I'm talking to you. I love you. I am not a condemning preacher. I stand before you a man who received amazing grace. And someone stood up one day and told me the truth. And I knew I had no oil. I love you. And I want you just to think for a minute. Is there a question in your mind? In the church? You've been maybe for years. But do you know for certain that you have come to Him and gotten your own oil, that you have gotten right with God, that you've settled the accounts with Him? And maybe you used to walk with the Lord, but you've gotten away, and the oil is running low. That is, you need to get back into feeding your spirit man and build that oil reservoir up and get that wick burning again. If you're in either one of those categories, it would be an honor for me if you would let me pray with you. Say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with him, but I've gotten away. I sure want that wick burning again, brightly. Or, I don't know, I have a question mark about whether or not I've ever gotten it from the Lord Himself to me gotten right with him if you're in either one of those two categories would you slip up your hand and let me just pray with you for a minute say that's me Pastor Jeff I see you, I see you, bless you put them up high, God bless you I want to do something right now forget about everybody in this place this is between 
you and the bridegroom. But I'm going to ask you to come down to this altar, and I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you right here, and something's going to happen right here. Why do I need to come down there? Because you take one step, it's a step of faith. And I would venture to say one step, and he's pouring the oil into your heart at that very moment. I want you to come. Make your way down right now quickly as we worship God. We're going to wait.